coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, there's a film called The Book of Eli. And it is about a society 30 years or so after a nuclear holocaust. It depicts a world that has descended even deeper into a hellish abyss of greed and depravity. Now, as we have experienced, most of us have experienced, calamitous times can bring the very best out in people. And yet, as is shown in this film, though, it can also bring out the very worst in humanity. And this is what is happening in this film. Except for one person. Denzel Washington plays the character. And he possesses the only surviving copy of the Bible in the entire world. And it's his job in the story to protect and to preserve that lone surviving copy of the Word of God. And I like the premise of the film because it forces you to imagine a world without the Word. And it shows us what such a world very well could look like and what it would actually be like. Well, there's a woman who meets Eli, and she was born after the world began, and so she asks him, what was the old world like? And in his years and in his wisdom, Denzel Washington says, well, well, we had more than what we needed. And yet we had no idea what was precious and what wasn't precious. And then she looks in his backpack and she sees this old, large book that had a cross on it, his Bible. And she says, what is that? What, what is that book? And then at last, Enzel says that, that this is so much more than just a book. I mean, the last Bible on the earth. Well, there might be a person who says, well, David, that's just Hollywood. We will never have to worry about living in a world without the word of God. Of course not. And yet I can also hear the words of Solomon speaking to me a lot louder than that when, when he famously said, there's nothing new under the sun. And in fact, as we open up in the scriptures, we see that this is something that has actually happened before. And if we are not mindful in the lives that we're living on the face of the earth, this is something that might even happen again in some of our lifetimes. I want to give us three minutes of Hebrew history. I don't know if you're ready for that this morning, but I, I hope we are. It's, it's in the 700s BC in Israel. And unlike his predecessors, King Hezekiah loved the God of his forefathers. As he purges Israel of their idolatry, but soon Hezekiah grows old and he dies. His son Manasseh assumes his throne. And he undergoes the longest reign of all of the kings of Judah and Israel, 55-year reign. And yet, as it turns out, 
Manasseh is by far the most wicked of all of those kings. Where he begins undoing everything that his father Hezekiah has done. He rebuilds altars to Baal in Israel. He brings even Asherah worship inside God's temple and sets up all of these idols in God's house. He sacrifices his sons in the fire, worshiping a god called Molech. He's a worshiper of the sun and the moon and the stars. He, he kills anybody who disagrees with him. He even dabbles in witchcraft, and, and it's said, at least in history, that he was probably the king who put Isaiah the prophet to death. Had him sown right in two. Well, Manasseh dies, and his son Ammon soon takes his place. Ammon is also very wicked and corrupt. But Ammon only lasts two years. He's assassinated. And before I get to that, I, I forgot to mention that Manasseh's empire was so wicked, it says in the Old Testament, that, that all the other nations around Israel, that they were not as evil as Israel was. I mean, Israel was to be a light and a beacon to the world. You know, these are the people of God, but under his regime, all of these other nations are looking at Israel of all nations and saying, man, those guys are out of control. That is one evil, wicked nation. How we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, they were looking at Israel. And so Manasseh dies, Ammon dies, and then at last, his son Josiah assumes the throne. He's eight years old when he becomes king, okay? Got an eight-year-old on the throne. And yet, we see that the evil has skipped two generations. Our text this morning is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34. I mean, when, when King Josiah was 16 years old, he began to pursue the God of his forefather, King David. But then at last, when Josiah is 26 years old, something very, very important happens. Where he gives orders that we must repair the house of the Lord and restore it to its former glory. And so Hilkiah the high priest goes inside of the king's discretion and he's pulling out money in the temple treasury to pay workers who are working on this renovation. When all of a sudden, Hilkiah, the high priest, finds the greatest treasure that he had ever found before. And so we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse 14. That while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And so here's Hilkiah. He goes inside the temple looking for coins to pay a bunch of carpenters and stonemasons. And he stumbles upon the Torah. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Torah has not been seen or heard in generations. It's been buried or concealed in some way. So we might imagine Hokiah stumbling upon this book. He blows the dust off it. <sighs> holds it up to the candle flicker. and What is that? 
what is that book? And then the, the discovery is made. You see, what this means is that unless there had been some people who had been somehow old enough to have heard it in the very earliest days of their youth, it means that the people of God had lost the scriptures. And that most of them, if not all of them perhaps, were hearing these words of God for the very first time in their life. Imagine a man as old as Claude hearing these words for the very first time in his life. And yet we wonder, I mean, how could words so holy, so majestic and so precious ever be lost to Israel of all places? Rabbinical tradition teaches that, that there had been priests many, many, many years earlier who had buried this, this book of the law under stone in the temple because King Manasseh had been destroying all of the copies of the word of God. And so somehow this, this one had been preserved and, and all of these years later it is dug out of the stones perhaps. And yet after they had buried it though, it was forgotten. And those priests who had concealed it eventually grew old and inevitably died. And so the word of God at that time, given through Moses, lie unheard and unknown. I mean, decade after decade after decade after decade after decade. And it is no coincidence whatsoever that as the king says, let us restore the glory and the house of the Lord and, and restore it to its former state. The God's like, okay, I'm going to get you guys started. And that this treasure buried underneath treasure and money and coins was then discovered and it was heard and it was experienced. When people discover the words of God today, we are still discovering precious, precious treasure. And I mean, we all have treasures, don't we? And we know that they are treasures because we treasure our treasures. Our treasures are treasured by us. Now, I've got a Magic Johnson rookie card. I've got a Larry Bird rookie card. I mean, these are not the kind of things that you just leave laying around to get destroyed. But rather, you buy a special frame and you project it up on your wall because, after all, this is not just any ordinary item. This is a treasure to some people. Maybe for others of you, it is the plates and the forks and the spoons that once belonged to your mother. Maybe even to your mother's mother. And again, you know that it's a treasure because you've got it locked away in a case that, that has a key maybe and, and a lock on it. You've got it displayed in your house as if it's a museum exhibit almost. I mean, it's very obvious that these are not the plates that you eat pizza off. These are only for the most special and the most rarest of occasions, maybe never at all. Because after all, that is a treasure to you. But as valuable as they are to us, when the treasures of earth could only take us so far, when our nine to five begins telling us that this is all that there is to life, 
When the 10 o'clock news begins saying to us that this world is absolutely hopeless. As the ghost of our failures and mistakes and trauma of yesterday begins saying to us, this is what you are and this is all you will ever be. The words of life cry out to us in the darkness. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God raised Jesus from the dead. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come to me and lay your burdens on me and I will give you rest. And suddenly as we hear these words of God, suddenly the world goes away, doesn't it? And we begin to discover the innumerable ways that the word of God isn't just any ordinary book, but, but this is a treasure. And whether we are hearing it in a message or hearing it on audio inside our car, or as Walter Horsey reads to us out of the Gospels as we eat the bread and drink the cup, I mean, do we not realize that these are not just any ordinary words? And I mean, these are not just any ordinary books and letters that we have. Well, as Job's children had been killed, as his body is submerged with sores and calluses, as all of the human voices speaking to his life are faithless and accusatory, Job still clung to the thing that he treasured most in this life. And no, it was not his money and it was not his land, but, but as Job says himself, he says that I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. And then Job says that I have treasured, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my everyday physical food. Job treasured the words of life so much that it was his primary food, he's saying. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch as he's driving or as he's going through a desert in a chariot. He's entrusted of all of Queen Candace's treasury and money. He's going through a chariot. And yet as Philip speaks to him about Jesus, Philip preaches Jesus from Isaiah chapter 53, and all of a sudden this Ethiopian eunuch discovers a treasure far more valuable and far more priceless than even the queen's money. Whereas he comes up out of the water dripping wet, it says that he goes on his way rejoicing all the way to Ethiopia with a far greater treasure. The Ethiopian eunuch treasured the words of life. As Jesus had been in a state of temptation out in the wilderness, no matter what the evil one threw his way in the heat of the moment, Jesus' response every single time, it is written. It is written, it is written, and now I'm going to act upon those words. So often when he has his showdowns with the religious professionals, his, his response so oftentimes is, is, have you never read that he stands on the word of God? As Jesus dies on a cross, as we heard a few months ago, his speech just naturally emanating from him is the words of God. Whether it was in conflict or in temptation or in death, Jesus treasured the treasure 
of the words of life. Well, in verse 19, King Josiah hears the words of the law read to him aloud. And it says, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. That is Hebrew lamentation. That is Jewish mourning. As he tears his clothes. And I mean, isn't, isn't that exactly the impact that the word of God has on us? As Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow. And it is able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And as Josiah hears the word of God, likely for the very first time in his life, every syllable begins tearing away at his heart. Josiah tears his clothes. And he laments that we and our fathers have not heard these words. We have not been living according to what God is wanting for his people. We have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. We've never even heard of these words before. And so he, he mourns that we have not treasured the treasure of the words of God. And sometimes we forget just what a treasure this really is. I would say for just about all of us, if not all of us, literally, there have been times in our life when our Bibles collected dust and cobwebs on our bookshelf. Where we're going through a time in our life where rather than treasuring the treasure, we just wanted to tolerate the treasure. You know? We grew bored with the treasure. We felt inconvenienced by the treasure. We felt indifference and apathy towards the treasure. You know, it's like taking your great-grandmother's plates and playing Frisbee with it in the driveway. It's like taking a Babe Ruth rookie card and using it as a coaster with your coffee or placing it in the spokes of a bicycle. In 2009, Amanda and I moved to China. And I'll never forget how just before we had gone there, we were with, with a group and they were preparing us. And they showed a video of Chinese Christians receiving their own personal copy of the Bible for the first time. And as soon as they brought in all of these boxes and started ripping them open and handing them Bibles, there was this eerie ethereal silence that had fallen upon this room. And then you saw literally every single person weeping in joy. I mean, kissing the cover of their Bibles, holding it in their arms, embracing it as if it were their newborn infant, holding their, their baby for the first time. A little bit later on, after we had returned to America, there were reports of a great persecution in China. Bibles being seized, but, but in certain reports it said that, that house churches had gotten together and said, even if they are going to take our Bibles away, let's memorize certain chapters and books. And so you can memorize this book and I can memorize that book. And, and they literally memorized books of the Bible. So no matter what the government wants to do, we've got the word here, we've got the word here, and we've got the word here. No matter what. 
Well, we live for a year in a country like that, that treasures the word of God that much. (laughs) And then we come back to America, where we always thought, you know, we were the end-all, be-all with Christianity. Well, that might be true in some places, but wherever we were that night, you know, got this guy up there and he's, he's preaching his heart out. You know, the words of God are being heard, but, but we're looking around the auditorium. You got people yawning. <sighs> got people looking at their watch. Got some people rolling their eyes. There was an older woman in that church who approached the minister and said, you know, I, I don't see why you can't just keep your sermons to 15 minutes. I mean, we got places to go. We got things to do, so just spit it out already, you know? And the night that we returned, that congregation even had decided that we need to meet together less. We don't want to hear the Bible that much. Let's let's not go crazy here. And then it later on came out, because I know that preacher and He said, yeah, the individual who said, keep your sermons to 15 minutes, they have a weekly appointment at McDonald's with their friends, and they do nothing but speak politics for two and a half hours. (laughs) So it's like 15 minutes of the Word of God, literally the treasure of the Word of God. Let's put a, a strict time limitation, 15 minutes in and out, just get it over with, bing, bing, boom. But politics, let's speak about it for two and a half hours. I mean, that's a sad treasure. That's a pitiful, pathetic treasure. I mean, we could talk about stuff in the world, and I think we need to, but in terms of treasuring things more than anything else, I might be crazy, but I I want to treasure this more than anything else. And yet that's when we arrived at the discovery that the word of God is so much more than what we thought it was before. The word of God is not pages or ink or or even Bibles, but even the scriptures themselves say that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. You see, what this means is that Jesus is living and active in our lives. His words in our lives are sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. I mean, as Josiah hears the words of God, yes, he understands these are not just any ordinary words, but more than anything else, and last of all this morning, Josiah understood that what is most important is, is that we need to embody these words. We need to become what God is saying here. And so Josiah leads his whole entire nation into repentance. Things that had not not been accomplished in over 400 years began happening. Where we see healing and restoration fall upon the land. Josiah starts just ripping apart all of these idolatrous altars. He grinds Baal idols into dust and he pours it on the graves of the people who used to worship him. And he and the nation make a covenant with God and they have a Passover. 
We're told that not even King David turned to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and strength as much as King Josiah did. And even though the nation would would very quickly break away from the covenant that they just made with God, King Josiah kept treasuring the treasure of the words of life. Until at last we read in verse 26 of 2 Chronicles 34, as Hokiah the high priest goes to a prophetess and she is giving King Josiah a message directly from God. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 27, what she says from God is, is that because your heart was tender, and because you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and because you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, She says, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And so behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all of the disaster that I will bring upon this place and upon its inhabitants. And so we see that even when there is a good king, Concerning the whole nation at large, once, once some damage has been done, it's very, very hard to undo that. But King Josiah, though, he treasured the treasure. And, you know, I just marvel that despite all of their history with, with Abraham and Moses and Elijah and King David and Red Seas and Jordan Rivers, that of all nations and of all people, the Israelites lost the word of God. It's been said that over 90% of American homes have at least one Bible inside. And I love that. As we have heard many times, the Bible is at least said to be the greatest seller of all time. Over 500 million copies a year. And I praise God to hear that. And yet we could very easily think that, no, we could never possibly lose the word of God in our nation or in our world. That, that's never going to happen. And yet I just have to ask the question, does, does having Bibles on our bookshelf mean that we are people of the word? Do the words Church of Christ on a sign mean that we're loving God and loving people every single day of our lives out there in the world? In so many regards, it feels as if we have been losing the word of God for a long time, whether it's churches or in individual lives. And it just makes me wonder, where are the believers? Where as soon as they hear those precious words that their heads just shoot straight up, or that they bow themselves in reverence and they savor every single syllable, Because they recognize that as soon as they are hearing those words, that they are walking on holy ground. Where are the people who treasure the word of God so much that it's like Walter, it's it's a fire consuming their soul. That no matter what this world throws at them, just like Jesus, they, they begin speaking the words of God in response to that problem. And so, my brothers and sisters, may we be the kind of people who treasure the treasure of the words of life so much that we are willing to die believing it, savoring it, preserving it, practicing it, 
and living it in our lives. The promise of God to His people Israel out of Psalm 119 and verse 11. Where the psalmist simply says that I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. See, that is so important because it is the polar opposite of what happened once in Israel in the 700s. Where rather than burying God's word underneath stone and losing it and forgetting about it, this is an insatiable desire to to hide and to conceal God's words deep in the crevices of our hearts. So my brothers and sisters, may we treasure the treasure. May we treasure the words of life. And may we treasure Jesus, the word of God.